With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Salvia's Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. And we record this on a Friday night when Zach should be in a locker room right now getting reaction from a tribe winner loss. Instead, he's sitting in his car in a parking garage for a game that never took place. Never happened. Kind of reminds me of all of the, the episodes of the Selby's Godcast that died somewhere in the recording process and no one ever got to listen to. So just like that Oscar Mercado RBI single and scoring on Yasiel Puig's base hit, none of that actually happened. Just like many of episodes of the Selby's Godcast that were just pure gold and no one ever got to hear it. You know, the funny thing is <laughs> they do open the clubhouse um, once the game is postponed and then you know you you hustle down there and there are a few players in there and they're trying to change as quickly as they can so they can drive home and relax and wake up in the morning and go back to the ballpark and then we're standing in there like why are we in here what are we going to ask <laughs> do you like do you ask Puig like hey, what was it like to to get that game tying single and pump up the fans and oh wait that single didn't count and didn't matter if the fans got pumped up because then they spent the next two hours standing on the concourse waiting for it to stop rain raining. It's it's so weird. Um, but, you know, they'll play two on Saturday. They'll play again on Sunday. We'll know the state of the division after that, and things are going to get interesting. But it, it's – rainouts are weird. It never goes easy. It never goes smoothly. Like, you're either sitting there for, like, four hours – and the game never had like they never just cancel it at 10 a.m. and let fans go about their day, let the media go about their day, let players know they don't have to come in. Like it's never simple. What are your feelings just when it happens? For me, I always sort of felt like it's it was like a, the same sort of feeling I had when it was a snow day, or if you would walk into class in college and the professor had canceled the class. And maybe had like uh, an aide go up in the board and write that the, cast, the class was canceled. So you, you did walk all the way to class. And you, if it was like the first class of the day, you did get up and go all the way over there. And so in some sense, you're like, oh, man, it would have been nice if the night before I would have known that class didn't happen. But I, also, I always had friends that were like, well, I'm here. I, I would have rather just had the class. Or ah, if I have to make up this class at the end of the year because it's a snow day, ah, I would rather just do it now. I am the ultimate push it back as long as possible sort of person. So even when you know you're going to get bit in the ass the next day on a doubleheader, I never minded it. It was like something different. It was cool. I'm going to go home. I I have something different here. I'm going to be home before I normally am. All this seems awesome. And I always feel like people look at me kind of crazy when I say those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, today kind of stunk because it's a big series. They had a huge crowd. It was a Friday night, and you lose that momentum. I mean, how many of the 30, I don't know, 33,000 fans in attendance tonight are going to come back tomorrow afternoon? 
probably not very many. And so you lose that and it stinks. You lose, you know, if you're a fan and you want to come see a great game, it kind of puts a damper on your weekend. Um, if you're us, not that anyone cares about the life of a reporter. Um, I care. That's why I asked. I, I, I'm frustrated because I should have spent the entire, I never utilize my rain delays properly. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Remember all the times last year and the year before when I would do a lot rain delay Q and a on Twitter. And then I'd, I'd put that out there and 150 replies later, I'd be like, why did I do this? I should be writing a story right now. I could be getting work done. I mean, today, Ryan Lewis, Mandy Bell, and I, we spent the entire rain delay looking up <laughs> would you rathers and like just thinking of uh, ridiculous scenarios and, and playing that game. And it's like, you know, I probably should have been writing a story I'm working on right now or transcribing interviews. Like there's so much you can get done and, feel good about yourself and instead i spent i don't know eight hours nine hours at the ballpark today did next to nothing and i have to be right back here in the morning so (laughs) yeah it's i I usually i'm the opposite of you i kind of hate when it plays out like this just because i never get anything done during the rain delay i'll say this the twins beat writers in town there were like four or five of them they went to the press dining room and played cards i've never seen that Played cards? Yeah. What were they playing? Euchre? Well, our buddy Dan Hayes came over to Ryan and I and said, hey, do you guys want to play cards? We're playing a game called Asshole, so I figured you guys would be pretty good at it. (laughs) Um, Holy shit. I have not heard of it. I haven't even thought of that game in 15 years. Yeah, I don't know if they were actually playing that or what, but... (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, you know what? If Dan Hayes is involved, that was... We're pretty much right on the nose. Um... All right, fair enough. I I always kind of looked forward to them. I don't know why. Something no, I mean it, it stinks. I it stinks for the fans. It stinks for the Indian. I mean, the Indians are going to make out pretty well. And again, this I don't want to spend too much time analyzing this series mm-hmm. because by the time we do that, it's going to be over, and we'll be back with another. So what podcast am I? What am I supposed to do, to do with my? Would you rather start? Jake Odorizzi and lose him and then have to go two bullpen games or I don't actually have another. Would you rather for that? Probably the other option. I think it stinks for the, I mean, you could see tonight even before the game was rained out, like the Indians fall behind in a two nothing hole and the way they fought back and the crowd was into it. And you could see Lindor pumping his fists and getting people involved and Puig pumping up the crowd. Like there was such good energy. And now I think, you know, maybe you still have that tomorrow for the day game, but, and, but who knows? I mean, it, it's it's nice when you can have big games on weekend nights, big crowds. The weather's nice. Like, I don't know. There's some value in that, and it it kind of stinks for for everybody when you you get uh, you just you lose out on that. Yeah, we've never seen the rain impact momentum ever before. It progressed too soon, in man. History of time. Our listeners are yelling too soon, TJ. Well, it might have been too late, according to some. That your boy is finally up here. A congratulations due to you for all your hard work in getting really the, your pet project for the whole year finally done. <laughs> your guy is right. finally up, man. Just bask in the glory of being the one that finally pushed that across the finish line. And what's crazy is I think I'm more excited for him than he is. Um, <laughs> a very quiet guy. A very... Uh, it was a couple descriptions... 
of him. Um, one was high strung, kind of like has his routine and cannot deviate from it. And it takes hours before a game to, to warm up. And hey, if that's what helps you throw 98 miles an hour with a wipeout breaking ball, more power to you. But uh, and then and just he was very, very short, very quiet, not very engaging. Um, didn't seem too impressed. I, I think I think that personality might play well here because CJ, we've talked about it so many times. Like we thought he should have been up earlier so that because they want to see if they can use him as a weapon for these big games coming up and, and potential playoff run. And it's like, okay, well then why wasn't he up here three, four weeks ago where he could have gotten some hiccups out of the way, get some, get some firsts out of the way and not have the spotlight be too daunting. But in talking to him today, I almost think that he's like, he doesn't care about that stuff. I get the sense that he's like, just give me the ball and I want to go out and blow up by people. Um, so I, it's, it's going to be interesting. Adam Plucko, I, he, he saw him pitch a little bit in AAA. I asked him, his description of Karinchek was, he's high-strung, but he throws freaking fuzz. I've never heard that term before, um, but that tells me, it, it sounds like it's going to be fun to watch. Fuzz? I, I'm trying to even envision what that could be. Fuzz. There's Hot Fuzz, which was a tremendous movie that you never watched. And I was trying to recommend to Ryan Lewis the other day. He apparently has never seen it. It's probably a top 25 movie for me. And You've seen 25 movies? It's amazing. Maybe it's fuzzy like the hitter can't quite pick it up. Like an invisible up in the zone. Can't quite track that 95, 96, 97 mile per hour fastball in the upper third. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I, that's about the only way I can try to rationalize fuzz. But it's a new term, which makes it really quotable and fun to put in an article. So props to you. It took me so long to wrap my head around it that I was not able to come back with a follow-up question on <laughs> what is freaking fuzz. <laughs> um, but we'll probably well, find out on Saturday. Yeah, more than likely because Clevenger is going in game one, and you know, by the time people listen to this, they'll probably already know what happens in this game. But you've been talking about Karinczak for, I don't know, months now. I mean, you started this campaign back in – June, I think it was officially underway. You and I agree that he should have been up here a long time ago. I do. I don't. I don't know. I can't read. I, I'm only reading your articles and reading your tweets and trying to evaluate how how sarcastic you're actually being. I don't know if you actually think that the Indians held him back because he couldn't hold runners and <laughs> has no experience with fielding his position or not, but. If that was your takeaway, then I got to disagree. No, I mean, I, I think that was just one of those canned bullshit answers that Tito has to give from time to time. That's why I never put too much stock into what any manager or it's, front office person says on the record. It's the scouting report that he's essentially handed. <laughs> they, yeah. You know, some, some evaluator says, hey, here are things that he does well. Here are things he needs to work with. You ask Tito about it, and it's the first thing that jumps into his mind. Here's things that he does well. Here's things he needs to work on. I, I don't think you were actually being serious. I think you were being a bit facetious. But I think there were some out there that actually thought that Tito was saying the organization was holding it. I don't know what the real reason is. I just know it wasn't because of holding runners and inability to field his position. That's not why they didn't call him up. And I don't think he was using that as the reason why they weren't calling him up. 
Well, and I think I, an I unnamed, think... I think an unnamed Indians reliever who accidentally liked my, my tweet um, <laughs> <laughs> agrees with you, but we'll keep that private for now. Maybe uh, yeah, our I... exclusive listeners, can, we can let them uh, in on that yeah. secret. Sure. Uh, leave the mothers out of this too, by the way. Uh, so you have to be super excited because you've been leading this campaign for some time. So, I mean, just get it all out. How, well, how pleased are you? You had to just no, keep I'm... jumping through the roof to finally get this done. <laughs> and I think we could say TJ's being facetious here. I mean, I, I've been campaigning for him <laughs> since, since before he suffered an injury in mid-May. Well, not campaigning for. I think I was campaigning for a mid-season call-up in May, but then he got hurt. Then he had a setback. That kind of derailed things. Yeah. Um, and his numbers well, took a little bit of a hit because he came back and he was – it took him a little time – and knock the rust off so he had a bunch of walks and he gave up some runs and I still think he should have been called up sometime in August probably um, and, and, and that's why like I'm not like I'm excited to see him because the Indians don't have any relievers like this that's also part of the reason sure. why I thought he should have been called up earlier because you have all these guys who have thrown who throw 90 91 they have deception they've pitched out of their minds what Oliver Perez and T- Tyler Clip have done this season is incredible what Nick Goody and Nick Wickren have given them is really really impressive but to give you another look because this kid Karinczak throws from like his ear and he throws 98 and then he tunnels the curveball and it's like I I mean I I talked to someone in, in another front office briefly about this and he said like people in this front office were watching video of him the other day and just like fawning over themselves like this kid's stuff is incredible. And I'm not saying he's the second coming and he's going to be Mariano Rivera. And I'm not saying he's going to be a savior this year. Like I would not be surprised if he came up and struggled and walked some people and got hit around a little bit. And, you know, there's only 15 games left. So that might you might see it and get a that terrible first impression and then not be excited about this kid moving forward next season. Um, but that's that's just all the more reason why I thought he should have been up earlier. Like let him go through some growing pains so that when you do potentially need him here in September, especially with Brad Hans scuffling in the second half and going through some stuff with his arm, like you have another option and a different option. Someone with, I mean, you think about the mixing and matching Francona could do where like he spends an inning going with Oliver Perez and Tyler Clippard and then bringing those guys throwing 90 and then Karen checks 98 looks like 120 and then go back to, you know, Wickren throwing or Simber throwing 84 from the dirt and then bringing Carrasco like there's so many things you could do but I just I worry with him coming from AAA and and not having any experience and then oh hey go make your major league debut against the twins in a must-win game like that's so much to ask and this could have been avoided and and there isn't I mean I asked so it's like the bunting thing where people ask me all the time like why why do they Tell him to stop bunting. Why don't you challenge Tito? And it's like, I've asked about this so many times over the years and gotten such bullshit responses that at some point it's like, it's not worth it. Like, I'm just going to keep getting the same answers that you don't like, that I don't want to present to you because I don't want you to think that I believe every word they're saying. And it's the same thing for Karen Jack. It's like, yeah, that when I presented Tito's quote last week about, oh, well, he needs to hold runners better and yada, yada. And it's like, I'm, I presented it as, I'm telling you this is what Tito said, and I'm telling you also that 
This is just a canned answer to give you a canned answer. I don't know the real reason. I don't think it has anything to do with service time or a potential arbitration clock. Yeah. He's 24 years old. He's going to be 24 next week. He's a reliever. Like that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, so, I see. I, don't I, I, I agree. I don't. I don't care about, and they shouldn't care about service time either for a reliever because guy comes up throwing as as hard as he does, and relievers as volatile as they can be. I'm I, I'm not really concerned about keeping a guy around for a seventh year. I'm, no. I, if if you're trying to win right now and you think that guy can help you win, then go out and get that guy up here because you don't know how long his arm is going to hold up as a reliever. We've seen it can happen seemingly at the the flip of a switch, like with Brad Hand, uh, as we talked about, anytime there was even a hint of a of a deal that could be made, I, I said I, I had some interest just based on the fact that you never know how long relievers are going to last. So I am not looking ahead more than really <laughs> what's in front of my face and what's in front of the Indians' face right now is a chance to try to sweep the Twins, try to get back in this division, and certainly try to win a wild card. And there's no reason why uh, Karen Check can't be a guy that is trying to help them do that. He is so intriguing because you look at the strikeout. I mean, to be striking out the percentages that he, he does is mind blowing, mind bending. It, even in the state of today's game where strikeouts have risen so steadily to be able to do it at the, the rate that he does is, is incredible, but it's also sort of, and, and we've talked about this before where prospects, because you read it on MLB, pipeline or you see somebody's evaluation on ESPN or baseball America teams don't all have this. They're not just reading that and using that as their evaluation for these guys. Everyone kind of looks at players differently, but it is so weird to me that it took him actually getting promoted for a lot of national evaluators to even weigh in on him. And even if you look at the Indians uh, prospect list, it wasn't like Karen check is right there in the top three all year and it's just blowing people away uh, by how good he is and people recognizing that it, it, it took him getting called up and people looking at the numbers and going, Oh shit, look at all these strikeouts. This is going to be interesting. And I, I can't believe that he, and maybe it's part of the partially due to the injury because that cut into his inning total and it kind of derailed his momentum from a hype perspective, but he really just kind of came up and surprised a lot of people that I'm, you know, you and I have been talking about him, on this podcast for a while. And I'm sure many uh, of the tribe Twitter faithful have been looking at him for a while, but as far from a, a national standpoint, him getting called up, it was like, that's what caused a lot of people to go, Oh, this guy might be sort of intriguing. And I was surprised that it took that long for him to even finally land on some people's radars nationally, considering what he was doing um, just from an impressive standpoint with all the strikeouts. So a few things here, because those are good points. Number one, so I've been working on something for quite a while, and I'm getting closer to being ready to kind of unveil it. Um, but it has to do with the pitching side of things. And, I mean, we've I've written about Plesak and Savali and, and Bieber in that draft and how it's so impressive, and I, I've written about like how player development and scouting have worked together to build this kind of pitching pipeline. Um, but if you go deeper, you can see like those guys, it's not like Bieber was a top 100 prospect. It's not like Savali and Plesak were really highly regarded, and when they were drafted and first were coming up, it's not like they threw 96 miles an hour either. Um, this, is, this is another player development pitching 
success story. And it's why it's why we've talked about this. TJ. It's why the Indians have felt that they don't believe in the term window. They believe in if they have their player development system and their drafting process and their minor league coaching to the levels that they want them, they should never have to tank. They should never have to go into a long, dreadful rebuild because they should be able to churn out players and make average prospects above average, above average prospects really, really good. And that we're seeing the fruits of that labor, certainly this season. Um, we've talked about how it could have been a wasted season where you just get a look at guys, and instead it's been a, I guess, a successful season where you still get deep looks at guys and, and you're encouraged about your future. So with Karinczak, yeah, I mean, you're, you're hurt as a reliever because relievers are rarely on top prospect lists anyway. Uh, but he's he's overhauled everything. I mean, he was a starting pitcher converted into a reliever. He always he he didn't throw this hard. I mean, he was like a low nineties guy. Now he throws mid to upper nineties. That happens when you change your mechanics. When you start, he he said he used weighted balls a lot in Arizona. He found a guy in the organization that he worked really well with, and it helped him because last year he he had the strikeouts, not to this degree, but. Still had a really impressive strikeout rate. Walked a ton of guys. I think it was like almost seven per nine innings. Still, the walk rate's a little high this year. But when you're striking out 22 per nine and you're not giving up very many hits, it's okay if you walk one guy every other inning because he's probably not going to move anywhere. So, I, yeah, it, it's 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 intriguing. And it's it's why... I understand top prospects list. We hear about MLB pipelines, top 30 lists all the time. Baseball America's top 100. Like everybody knows every player on these lists, but that doesn't tell the whole story. And there are still people who can really contribute in a meaningful way. Sometimes it's just development. Sometimes you got to just find a good rapport with the right person to work with. Um, and, you know, sometimes guys just, we always say development's not linear, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes guys certain certain weird journeys to to discover their true ability, and it makes it fun to to keep tabs on. And just back to my point, just because MLB.com or Baseball America or whomever thinks a player is a top whatever could be potential star contributor, it doesn't matter. There are, there are for every one of those reports. A team has got several others that could surprise you. The Indians might yeah. look at their minor leagues, and I don't know if they sit there like a Baseball America or MLB Pipeline and, and rank them like, like we're quite used to on a big board or anything like that. But I think if they were to do that, if they were to do that exercise, people would probably be shocked at the differences that the Indians evaluate their players where other people might see those players differently. And it, it's a... It's different when you get an up-close look at somebody. It's different when you know someone might be tweaking something mechanically or looking at a different approach, as you said. Um, when you have more of that background knowledge, it certainly it helps you funnel through some of the noise and be able to actually find maybe some more accurate analysis. So with, with that said, I think this is probably well, a case I wanna, where... I, let me add one thing, because that's it's sure. a great point. Because I was, I was talking to a player today who was saying... I was, I was asking, I'm like... What is it about this organization and what they do? Because you have to blend player development and coaching. And you have to find the right mix. And you have to find the right way to translate data and information 
to make players understand, okay, this is why I should do what this coach is telling me. Um, this is what the data says. How can we get the coach to understand it, to teach the player? How can we get the player to understand to make him better? And, and it's like teams, all teams have similar information now because they, it's not the same, but like everybody values data and information much more than many teams did 10, 15, 20 years ago. You used to have teams that were, and I know like the Astros are still the leaders in this, but it's like even the Orioles and Marlins do some of this. And so you have to find those competitive advantages. You have to find, you, you hear all the time about teams hiring pitching coordinators or stealing people away from driveline or other places to join their coaching staff. You hear about people going from a front office role where you're sitting behind a computer for eight hours a day to like putting on a uniform and going to the field and like watching pitchers throw bullpen sessions. And that's all part of this. And it's like, that's, that's where you find the competitive advantages. That's how you, you know, you might have the same level of talent with some of your prospects. The Indians might as the Orioles, but like the Indians are getting more out of it because of the system that they've created. So it's, this is like an extended discussion to talk about one relief (laughs) prospect, but it's, it's how you can you can get the most out of your guys and, and how you it's it's why like Plesak and Savali have come up this year and they're not daunted by what they face when you used to have training wheels on guys for a full year. Right. And it's just been a parade of them this year on the pitching side. They just yeah. one guy after another just coming up and surprising. And that probably lends itself to a belief that Karen Check can be the same sort of guy. Um, so in, while yes, it is using one guy to talk about a broad, broad picture, you, you could do that with pretty much everybody <laughs> right now that is contributing to the level that they are. And we've done that with Bieber for like a year now. Um, and it continues. Um, and it, it's, it, it's, it feels like so long ago when the Indians would seemingly overvalue and overhype their own prospects. And that happens in organizations that don't have great farm systems because, you know, somebody's got to be number one, even if it's a bad farm system. And as a fan, uh, even as a reporter, you hear about certain guys over and over and over again, and they come up and you're like, okay, well, this is so-and-so's top or top three prospect. And then they end up flaming out for the Indians. It felt like for quite some time where that would happen, you know, they would call somebody up and there were major expectations and nothing really ever happened. And there's just not been the case this year. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen many Cord Phelps and Russ Kanzlers so far this year to harken back to days of yonder. Um, so yeah, it's just been, it's been interesting and it's, it's sort of been fun to kind of chronicle that and see how guys react. And, and it's to a point now, and I know the Savali start never happened. He did pitch. <laughs> I, I saw it. You can't That's tell me That's got to suck. Happen. If you, if you hit a home run and then I know that's what I was thinking washed about. washed away. I know. Uh, even in today's day and age where everybody's hitting home runs, I want every one that I hit. Just imagine uh, imagine somehow that becomes the difference between 499 and 500 in a career or something. Like, I, I actually hit that home. Like, there, there is proof. There's video proof. I did it. It just didn't end up counting. That's so weird. Is the uh, equivalent that- like writing a really good story and then like your computer? dies before you can uh, publish it i will let you know when i write my first really good story as far as savali though i mean 
to look at the numbers this guy has churned out, I feel like he is not being talked in, about enough. This, he, he has a, his, if you have an ERA hovering around two through, what are we, eight starts into his career? Yeah. Uh, what? I mean, I don't expect that to be what he is in his career. Nobody expects that. And to his credit, he's found a way to keep guys off the barrel very, very well. And guys don't seem to ever square him up. I mean, how much longer does he have to kind of pitch at this level before you start to believe, holy shit, is this a a top of the rotation profile sort of guy? Because I don't know that I necessarily believe that about Plesak. I think Plesak can can grow and become better. and, And we've always tried to stay away from putting ceilings on guys, but between Savali and Plesak, I probably lean more towards Savali as being a guy that I think probably has a little bit more in the potential department, but I'm just looking at what he continues to do. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, all the times this year that I've heard people say, Oh, he kind of reminds me of what Corey Kluber does. And it's like, okay, well, uh-huh. hold on. We're talking about a two time Cy Young award winner here. Let's not just throw around these terms so quickly. But then you see the way he approaches it and kind of the cerebral aspect and the arsenal and all these things that he kind of does. And you're like, well, the strikeouts clearly aren't quite to a Kluber level. But are we at least talking about a guy that could anchor a rotation someday? And this guy just kind of came up, not for the organization, but for us and for people around the game, just kind of comes up out of nowhere. And, and now you're talking about a guy that in a few years could legitimately be near the front of their rotation. You don't want to throw away, throw around the Kluber comparison. I don't want to throw around the Kluber comparison. But there is someone who works awfully close with Aaron Savali and has worked close with Corey Kluber. Is it the Who's... elevator guy at Progressive Field? It's the elevator guy. No, he shook my hand at a rest stop in Toledo on the way home from the Detroit series a few weeks ago. He didn't that, wash that, his that. hands after uh... he went to the bathroom. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Uh, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to eject before you said it, but you just laid it out there. So, well, I mean, I already have Chris Dickerson mad at me, so that's fine. Uh, I, anyway, this person threw around, he said Kluber esque today. I was asking about Savali because I want to know that the guy doesn't talk. When he talks, he whispers. (laughs) And when he whispers, he doesn't say much. And we try to get as much out of him as we can, even Andre not with his bubbly personality pressing him after games it's just it's just that's who he is everyone has said what you see is what you get with him um so in terms of the personality and just the poise the makeup people have said kluber-esque and i didn't believe it at first because i you know the scouting report on him was like 90 91 good sync no like huge wipeout breaking bar or anything like that but now he's throwing 95 and everything moves. And, like, it, you're right. It's hard to square up against him. And he seems like a really smart pitcher. Seems like nothing rattles him. Uh, it's <laughs> – you start thinking about that rotation next year. And, you know, if Carrasco returns to a starting role, if you pick up Kluber's option, then you got Clevenger and Bieber who look like a pair of aces. You've got Savali – who looks like a mid-rotation guy. You've got Plesak, who like doesn't have to have the pressure of being the number three, number four starter. Um, and, and maybe he can go to AAA where he only has three starts and he can continue to work on things. Like, Boy, there's some really talent, talented depth 
Um, and I'm, I'm with you. I think Savali, I feel like his, his floor is probably a little higher than some of the other guys. And, and yeah, you know, and that's the, not the ceiling. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know what, what his ceiling would be because he's already exceeded my expectations so much that sure. I, who knows? I, I don't mean that as a slight or shot to, uh, to police sack at all. I mean, what he has done has right. been an incredible lift and, you know, even if he is a guy that uh, just kind of does what he's done, right? if, if even even if he is a an ERA that hovers in the high threes, and and I mean that's that's spectacular, especially for a guy that you will control for a long time and and is your number five starter, yeah, or six I mean, or seven. But to get back to give a some... shout out really quick, Adam Plucko has been he's given them everything you could have asked for. Over the last yeah, few months, I, right? yeah, I, I remember you know, there being an announcement that he was going to start, and people <laughs> in the mentions would, would be yelling, "Oh my God, why are we even giving this guy another start?" I, I, I think he's a perfectly capable back end starter, and, and maybe we've just been spoiled seeing the pitching that we've seen for so many years now. There's probably a lot of teams out there would be dying to have a guy like Pletko just somewhere in the rotation. Doesn't. If he's starting a playoff game for you, it's probably not ideal. But, I mean, it's a long season. You need a lot of starters. And if he's eating up a bulk of, of, of some innings at the back end of your rotation, that's not, not the worst place to be. Anyways, get back to Savali. I, I know this stuff, when you're just looking at it, I mean, because he doesn't throw you know, 97, 98 with any regularity, but... Look at the fastball spin, 86th percentile. The curveball spin is 96th percentile. You already start with both of those things, and it's like, okay, well, if you've got incredible spin and the way the game is going now, you can figure out even ways to, to be better with that spin, be more efficient with that spin. So to even start with that is impressive. He entered today with an exit velocity of the 88th percentile. That's terrific. Some of the expected numbers, the, the expected Wobas, 89th percentile, expected slugging, 94th percentile, hard hit percentage. Anyone can understand that. It's balls hit 95% or 95 miles per hour or harder. The percentage of balls that hit that. He's in the 89th percentile in pitching as far as keeping the ball from, from off the barrel and, and balls just hit, being hit hard. He has a 193 ERA for those that just love traditional stats through eight starts with a 105 whip. That's spectacular, and we, we keep t- like I feel bad because it's like, oh well, in the future, could this guy be in front of the rotation? He's pitching like a front of the rotation starter right now. That's incredible to me, just how how great he's been. And nothing seems to phase him. I mean, he he gives up the two run homer to Polanco, uh, and it looked like he was going to have his first start of his career where he gives up more than two runs, and he has the wherewithal to know that Mother Nature's coming, so it doesn't matter. And that gets washed away, and now he keeps the streak alive. Never happened. Yeah, never happened. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Karen Check is just one way to talk about many of the guys that have surprised us this year. And and I think it would – I don't even think it would be a stretch to to say that the organization is surprised. They might have known that they had something special with with these kids and – and Bieber leading the way, but even with the way Bieber's pitched, I, I don't think anybody in the organization was prepared to see uh, any of the three pitch the way that they have in the major leagues this year. Not to, not to say they didn't believe at some point they couldn't be that, but for it to happen as quickly, as, especially for 
Bieber, who certainly and we talked last week about Cy Young voting. I, I would not be surprised if he finishes. If he's a finalist for the Cy Young, I would not be surprised whatsoever. Well, and you can see how they plan to turn this from one generation of players to the next. I mean, it's they're going to have to like the Lindor is the elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty clear that the building block is going to remain or the foundation is the rotation and it's going to stay that way. And you've got a new young group that's ready to take the reins and they'll try to fill in the blanks with the lineup and you know there's no reason why this can't be the AL Central favorite next season right well unless they cut the payroll by another 30 million oh boy yeah so I guess enjoy it while you still (laughs) (laughs) there's always the negative side the downside um but we did I mean back when we resumed this podcast whatever it was and uh, they were on their way to being down 11 and a half games in the division uh we did both say this season had to count for something and it's counted for something in that they're still competing and still very much alive in the postseason picture. But uh, the, the future does look brighter than I would have thought at the beginning of the season before we see, we've seen some of these guys come up and contribute, you know, last week we did kind of shit on them for some of the depth issues and the, the position player side of things. And some of the things they didn't plan for in the early season, the other end of that, as I tried to lay out and trying to be fair is they did have a number of guys come up in the pitching side. And then even looking at a guy like Oscar Mercado for what he has done this year, I know he's not going to finish more than likely with uh, an above average offensive season, but he's close enough to average where the defense continues to improve. And I I look today, he's at five outs above average. Uh, So he's saving runs in, in defensively in center field. And if you're hanging around, close to average with the bat with what he does on the bases today in a game that didn't count with him tagging up on a ball, hit the center field. I mean, that, that had to, to knock Tito over with, with pleasure with the, the way that he played in, in that particular play tagging up on, on that, well, uh, that deep fly to center field. Unfortunately for him, Keith Olbermann, who has, I don't know, 2 million Twitter followers has watched one Indians game all year. And it happened to be the game Mercado dropped the ball in left field. So, uh, he tells the whole world that Mercado stinks on defense, which he's made so many highlight reel grabs the last month or so. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, think I he's still, had a I nice still don't season. know why. Why in the hell was he playing the corner uh, in that series? I don't know. There's well, not asked, the answer. I, I I asked Tito, and the answer was another one of those that wasn't worth passing along because it was made no sense and was bullshit. But I, I don't enjoy much second guessing when it comes to managers, and maybe we can get into this someday. Kind of my philosophy behind it. But that was one where it was like, why? why? I mean, you want to get Greg Allen in there? Fine. He has a hot bat at that point. But messing with Mercado, who seems like a foundational piece in the outfield for several years moving forward, just did not make any sense to me, and I didn't buy the reasoning behind it. Well, can I tell you the perfect bit of karma? So the Indians are down 2 nothing in the first inning that never happened. Lindor doubles. Mercado squares to bunt, and an analytics angel loses its wings. He fouls it off. Then he decides, all right, I'll swing away, and gets an RBI single. That tells you right there, hey, (laughs) stop trying to bunt, especially when you're losing in the first inning of a must-win game. So he learned his lesson. 
And then, because he didn't deserve the RBI single, since he wanted to bunt in the first place, the rain washed it away, so that shit never counted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, even on the telecast, even Rick Manning is yelling at him to swing the bat. I mean, if, if, if that's the case... Please, enough with the bunting. Down two I mean, nothing. I had, I'll say this. Two like nothing Jim Ingram. in the first inning? Yeah. Jim Ingram has watched more baseball than we will ever watch combined in our lives. And you would think a lot of old school guys are pro bunt. And, you know, this is the way they did it in the 70s. And, like, it's fine. Jim Ingram, who, like, I love the guy, respect the hell out of the guy. Like, we don't talk strategy very often. So this was, this was new. He sits in the row above me and he bolted down to bitch about the bunt to me and i was like (laughs) it was like a breath of fresh air um so that was cool that a a guy who has watched baseball for so long um is on the same wavelength as guys you know who are reading the the analytics and the data and saying this is a stupid move like that's that's cool to hear someone with that experience being able to evolve you shouldn't even need the analytics it shouldn't even need any data it should just be smart as do you like giving away outs? You'd get 27 of them. Would you yeah. like to give one of them away when you're already trailing 2 nothing? I mean, we can, we can talk the about... the most powerful t- offense in baseball history. We can talk about the handful, if I can even come up with that many, of occasions where I don't mind a bunt. But even then, I'm like, man, even if you're down to like three outs, why are you giving away any of them? even just to move up a guy. Unless, unless moving up that runner almost guarantees you to score one run and you win the game because of that run. Right. It's like the only time that I can come away and feel. Yeah, I mean, if we like keep it, talking it about bunting, I'm, I'm, my blood pressure's going to boil. That's why I keep doing it. I'm trying to see if I can push you closer and closer to the edge. And also, maybe delay the inevitable defeat that you're about to experience with the random inning of the day. Oh, God. Are you ready? No, but yeah. All right, we'll stand by. It comes your way after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so I couldn't figure out who I wanted to go with, Zach, for the random inning of the day. And then I thought, well, a baseball game just took place that didn't take place earlier today. So let's focus on a season that took place but never had an ending, the 94 season. But it's not going to be... It's not going to be that difficult because he did play for the Indians for more than just the 94 season. He actually had two stints with the Indians. So that's your first clue. He played with the Indians from 92 to 95. And in those seasons, let's see if I can do this real quick. He played in 72 games total over those four seasons. And then he returned in 1999. And he only played for two teams. But he bounced between those two teams. So he played with Cleveland from 92 to 95, came back in 99. He also played with the Brewers from 96 to 98, then made another appearance in the major leagues for 12 games with the Brewers in 2001. That was his final major league season. Position player? 
He is a position player. If I give you the position, it re- really narrows it down, but I almost feel like I need to because I've been extremely vague so far. Well, hold on here. Let me give you some of the particulars as far as uh, the right. statisticals. With Cleveland over five seasons, 225 average, 245 on base percentage. It's really difficult to do to have 225 and 245 be the case. His slugging was 298. It was an OPS of 543. His OPS plus with Cleveland over those five seasons was 45. That does not seem very good. Can I ask was, how old he was when he played with the sure. Indians? Yeah, he played in a total of 82 games with Cleveland uh, over those two stints. He was 24, 25, 26, and 27, and then came back in 1999, and he was 31 at that point. Played 10 games with the 99 Indians, and he hit 154 with a 368 OPS. So I'm going to guess that this is a catcher? Yeah, if he's playing that much and still getting opportunities, he would be a catcher. So that is a good guess. Oh, man. Jesse Levis? It is Jesse Levis. I saw Jesse Levis a few weeks ago. He's a scout for the... Oh, man. I want to say Phillies or Rangers, maybe. I can't remember. I was looking up his... (laughs) And Wikipedia, the only... (laughs) The only post-career hints they give you is that he was hired in 2006 to be a scout with the Red Sox. He scouted for the Red Sox... Or Red Sox. He scouted for the Red Sox for two seasons. Levis is Jewish. <laughs> non sequitur of the year right there. Uh, it's not even a new paragraph. It's, it's still part of the same paragraph. <laughs> After retiring, he was hired on November 7th, 2006, to be a scout for the Boston Red Sox. He scouted for the Red Sox for two seasons. Levis is Jewish. Uh, please find a way to work this into the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that, uh, that's your random Indian of the day. Jesse Levis, who is now 51 years old. Born April wow. 14th, 1968 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was drafted by the Phillies in the 36th round of the 86 amateur draft. And the Cleveland Indians in the fourth round of the 1989 amateur draft out of, the, uh, out of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Good stuff. And he's Jewish. I can confirm via... Wikipedia, Jesse Levis is Jewish. As Michael Scott would say, it's on Wikipedia, so you know it's true. (laughs) Uh, And that's about the extent of my uh, Jesse Levis career to give you. He finished with a 1.1 war. He was worth 1.1 wins above replacement over his nine-year career. And I have a feeling he did not earn what Fangraphs would value that 1.1 war at. <laughs> probably, probably not. I was trying to see just a career, his best year in his career. He actually played 104 games for Milwaukee in 1996 with a 631 OPS. Offense, not great, Bob, but the career continued. And now he's a scout. Congrats to him. And I'm pretty sure you have nothing to throw Jesse Levis under the bus for, right? You're not going to ruin his life in any way, shape, or form. I have nothing bad to say about <laughs> Jesse Levis. I have nothing good to say about him either. So, uh, That's better than, better than last week. Uh, any parting words for our listeners this week? 
and it will yeah. probably come back a little quicker uh, as this series wraps up and can't talk too much about the series because by the time people listen to this, they'll probably already know what has happened and it'll be all outdated, but we'll be back sooner than later to kind of recap and update where the Indians are at in the standings. Yeah, I just, you know, I, we'd be remiss not to say the thoughts and prayers to Fred McLeod's family. Um, just one of those moments, uh, like I, I'll remember where I was, what I was doing when I, uh, got the press release, I think, or yeah, I got the press release and, you know, you see that like the email subject was like very sad news from the Cavaliers family. And it's just, your brain immediately starts going in circles and it's, you know, I didn't know Fred, um, but you know, enough people who did know him and, you know, a bunch of people made this point where it's like, Twitter can't agree on anything. They can't agree if a dress is black and blue or golden, whatever. They can't agree on the best chicken sandwich, but they can agree Fred McLeod was a great person who brought joy to Cavs games, whether they were winning the finals or enduring a 26-game losing streak. And there seemed to be no other reason to watch but to listen to him and Austin Carr's camaraderie. Uh, So I only met him once, I think. It was... He Kyrie, I want to say Kyrie was just drafted or it was the year after he was taking batting practice. Oh, yeah. The Cavs sent Fred McLeod to just like kind of chronicle his day. And he Kyrie gets to the clubhouse. The Indians were crappy. This was what was he drafted in 11. So it was probably 11, either 11 or 12. Um, and Kyrie like was in the clubhouse, like getting dressed. And McLeod went and asked for like a couple minutes to like do an interview before batting practice then he was going to do one after and Kyrie blew him off and said no and like we should have known then and Kyrie <laughs> sucked um but McLeod just seemed like I mean everyone by all accounts a hard worker so prepared just a really gracious person who always made time for anyone who needed it um and we need more people like that I think in this business and and he was he set a good example for all of us to follow and, you know, hopefully we can continue to follow that even if he's not around anymore. Yeah, a spectacular play-by-play man. But it's so, it's so incredible that he was as good as he was at play-by-play and, and being kind of the heart and soul and, and at times a spokesman for the Cavaliers organization. And that just pales in comparison to the type of person that he, he was. And I, somebody said it best when you looked at his, his Twitter feed six of his last tweets were just retweets of his wife's work, you know, supporting her yeah. and can't help but, but think of her and, and keep her and, and everyone there in our, our thoughts and prayers had met and, and talked to Fred many times uh, throughout my uh, travels covering the, the Cavaliers when I was working for the fan. And the one thing that everyone says about Fred, that just seemingly just everybody has this, the same experience. And I just, it's the same for me too. He had an uncanny ability, no matter who you were, to make you feel special and to make you feel valued and make you feel like you had somebody that you could talk to if you had any questions whatsoever. You really don't see that. I mean, when you have you know, young kids running around, and at, at one point we, we both were, were that, and to some people we still are that. <laughs> but uh, to, to meet someone like him and to have someone that took as much of an interest 
as he did in, in a career that, you know, might have just begun. But he, he made you feel like you were really important. And I'll, I'll never forget the, the several times as we were hanging out in Independence waiting for whatever coach to, at that time to come up and, and talk or, or waiting for LeBron or waiting for Kyrie or doing all the waiting that we do. He would always pick my brain about the Indians and wanted to know what was up with the organization, what direction they were headed, uh, what was going to happen in spring training. He really was all about the city and he really cared. And he also, when you're talking, when, when you just were talking to him, it wasn't like he was asking you just to make a conversation. He genuinely cared and wanted to know what you thought of that. And you're, like you said, that is really rare in this industry. I'm glad you brought it up because he, he does definitely deserve our, our thoughts, our prayers. And, and I, I consider myself blessed to even spend any time around him. And I, I feel like that's being echoed a lot. So with that, we'll leave everybody. Have a good weekend. I do know that at the end of this weekend, no matter what happens, it will have counted. 